as well as live leaderboards, tea times, video and radio during the Open Championship, you can enjoy historical and new content every day of the year with the Open app. Download for free on iPhone or Android. You're listening to the Open Podcasts. It is the big question we all want the answer to. Who will be next to write their name into the history books? And on the biggest stage of them all. The 150th Open Championship is fast approaching and we are going to examine and anticipate all the possibilities at the home of golf. Oh, yes. Never a doubt, was it? Oh, he's got it. He's got it. And that's it. And that settles it. He loves it. Oh, that's just unbelievable. Magic. He's just done it. Oh, ho, 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 ho. you think he enjoyed that one? Hello, I'm Marcus Buckland, host of The Open Radio, and this is the 150th show's bumper preview of, you guessed it, the 150th Open. Over the next hour or so, we are going to discuss all the top storylines at St Andrews, from the favourites to the fairy tales that make this magical event so special. We're also going to hear from some of the biggest names, including Rory McIlroy, and of course, make our predictions for four fabulous days at the old course. And I'm delighted to be joined by an integral member of the Open Radio team, Sue Thurl, and BBC Sports golf correspondent, Ian Carter. Hello to both of you. Such a pleasure to be around the table. Now, Ian, you've travelled the world for so many years. You've covered so many spectacular events. How excited are you about this one? Very, very excited. Um, And of course, it's a year later than we were anticipating. We had a fantastic Open, obviously, 12 months ago at Royal St. George's. But that was the week that was uh, initially earmarked before COVID uh, for the 150th Open. Every Open is special. Every Open at St. Andrews is extra special. And then throw in this remarkable landmark, 150th Open Championship, all of the world's best players in attendance. And it is. It's just. Uh, it's the, for me. It's the best golf tournament in the world. Um, it always has been the one that I look forward to most. It's the one that you circle in the diary from the word go. Uh, it takes golf back to its roots, doesn't it? It's seaside golf. It is played in the very same environments that old Tom Morris and Co were playing way back in the nineteenth century, and it provides the. The, the the acid test of a golfer and it generates that unique atmosphere. So everything about it is magical, Marcus. Sue, you know St Andrews extremely well. Can you sum up your sense of anticipation ahead of another trip there? Oh, it's just the one thing in the sporting calendar for me this year that you just circled in big red pen because it is, as Ian says, a true, honest, brutal test. That bit of property huddled alongside hugging the Fife Coast in the centre of the town of St Andrews, but you can drive into St Andrews and not know it's there. It's right next to the town, the finish in front of the old clubhouse, the history surrounding the event. I mean, 
all the Americans and the Europeans that come over to play the event, they are slightly in awe, and rightly so, of the history that's connected to the event. And you feel that sense of occasion at an Open at St Andrews, I think, even more than any other Open. And every Open is special. Yeah, and there will be some extra special events as well in the build-up to the golf itself, including, and do make a note of the celebration of champions, the Open Radio will be covering that on Monday from 2.30. It's a four-hole format featuring a range of former champions. For more information, go to theopen.com. And if you want to know everything there is to know about the 150th Open, I do suggest you buy Ian's new book, which is magnificent. And I sense it was a labour of love. Ian, tell us a little bit more about that. It, it, it was, and it was an extraordinary uh, surprise and an honour to be asked to to write it. Um, I think it's it's fair to say it's the RNA's book. It's uh, it's their celebration, and to have been asked to, I'll, I'll, I'll let you into a secret. When when the contract came and uh, to to write it, it, it said um, forty thousand words. Well, I submitted around about 75,000 words, and I don't think they took too many of them out there. And you know me, Marcus, from from days of old. I I never do more work than I actually have to. Um, (laughs) That shows you what a labour of love it, it, it was. And it was fabulous talking to so many people connected in so many ways with the Open, um, very sadly, um, some of the, the people that I interviewed, and most notably the great Peter Alice and the great Renton Laidlaw, um, I spoke to them and they've sadly passed away since those interviews. So getting their recollections from down the years, stretching back to the 1940s in the case of, of Peter Alice and his first visits to the Open and getting his account of what it was like when he turned up at Hoylake for the very first time, was just magical sitting in his in his kitchen for a couple of hours as he as he took me through his memories which of course stretched all the way through to the modern day and he's going to be massively missed of course he is at this uh, open championship um because he's been such an integral part of so many people's enjoyment of of the championship but that's just one aspect of it um i i spoke to a number of of former champions just to get what the open meant to them and and almost to a man they said well it's it's the world championship of golf um and that's how they they view it and that's why the americans the south africans the australians come over here with such a sense of of anticipation and yes to 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 have been asked to write it was uh, was a, a i can only describe it as a fantastic uh, privilege and i'm immensely proud to have been involved in it and i think everybody who has been involved in that book is is incredibly proud with how it's turned out I'm not surprised. Yeah, it's brilliantly written and it's beautifully illustrated. Do get hold of a copy if you possibly can. Now, Sue, as far as the course itself is concerned, I think we all feel we know it because we've enjoyed so many opens at St Andrews over the years. And one thing we also know is that the weather can and will play a key part. In the build-up, we've had some some pretty tranquil conditions. But until we know what's going to happen between Thursday and Sunday of Open Week, we can't be too sure 
about what's going to happen out there, can we? Well, no, the old lady really showed her teeth in 2015, didn't she, with the flooding which happened at the weekend on the Friday and then the winds on the Saturday. And it meant, of course, that everything got bumped into the Sunday and extraordinarily the Monday as well. And the conditions were brutal. I remember, Ian, I dare say you were the same, that Open Championship wearing three pairs of trousers, four fleeces <laughs> and a raincoat and a bobble hat. And I still felt cold and wet. That's how difficult the conditions were, but that's why you love the Open Championship, because that can be a factor. You, you've you got to deal with that, as well as the difficulty of the course. You've got to stay out of the bunkers. If you play it right to left, you'll be in good shape. But then if you are able to take on the course a little bit and sometimes play down the right, then you've got a better line into the flag on a lot of those shared greens. There are seven of them, aren't there? You need to be patient. It means that play will be slow. But it all adds, I think, to the drama of what is shaping up to be a, a fantastic-looking championship. Yeah, well, we shall pack several layers and be ready for just about anything, just in case. And actually, for a little more on the course, do please listen to our Course Guide podcast for a much more in-depth overview of what the players and indeed the spectators can expect. That is in two parts. Now, if you are a fan of the Open podcast, you'll have heard the story of 2021. For those who haven't, or if you simply want to relive the key moments of Colin Morikawa's sensational performance in the 149th Open, the episode will be re-released over the weekend to whet your appetite. Here's a quick reminder of that special victory. On the tee from the USA, Colin Morikawa. For our for the American, 11 under par. He starts this final round. One behind the leader, Louis Oosthuizen. This one is not going to drop. So Jordan Speed, it is quite possible that his race is run here. Into the hole, and Colin Morikawa is the new Open champion. The 149th champion. The winner of the gold medal and the champion golfer of the year is Colin Morikawa. This is by far one of the best moments of my life to see everyone out here. Look at all these fans. Let's hear it for you guys. You guys have been amazing. Brilliant golfer, charming man, two wins and five top fives in his last nine majors. Still more major wins than missed cuts. So obviously he's going to go into the event full of confidence. So what are your overriding memories of last year? Weather, weather was, of course, absolutely stunning throughout. Oh, it was. The conditions were absolutely benign. I don't think we had a drop of rain, did we, Marcus and Ian, for the entire uh, week of the championship? But I followed him on the Friday when he shot the most dazzling round of 64. He had a putt for a 63 for a new course record at St George's and the sound of club on ball and the fizz as it uh, flew through the air and it was unbelievable ball striking tee to green and his putter stood up very nicely as well and you just felt like he could annihilate any course the form he was in that week I thought he was a, an outstanding champion and a very worthy one too We will make more precise predictions a little later and look at all the uh, the most likely contenders but Ian would you be all that surprised if Morikawa made it two out of two? 
No, I wouldn't because he's someone who reserves his uh, best golf for the biggest events and there are none bigger than the, the 150th Open. I remember well uh, being with with Sue for for that round of, of 64 in the second round and that really was the, the bedrock of it. You were there obviously for Open Radio. I was there for, for Five Live. I'm sure we'll be, uh, we'll be out there together again uh, this, this year somewhere along the line, Sue. And, and let's hope we're treated in a similar fashion because... Uh, it was it was an extraordinary uh, performance that, as I say, that 64 laid the bedrock. But then over the weekend, the, just the control, the ball striking, the ability to find green after green after green. And uh, a real duel was developing with Louis Oosthuizen until the South African sort of faltered towards the end of his front nine. And there were periods there where Colin Morikawa, I spoke to him afterwards, where he, he said he had to basically have a committee meeting with himself. And he was getting uh, annoyed with his caddy in the early part of uh, his third round. And he said he learned more in that period. Uh, than he ever has done on a on a golf course, and he managed to straighten himself out, straighten his golf out, and then become a, a commanding and worthy winner. And to answer your question, you know there is every reason to suggest that his skill set is is going to be perfectly suited to St Andrews because remember he'd never seen an open golf course before. He he was winning on his open debut, so the fact that he hasn't seen St Andrews isn't necessarily a disadvantage for him. No, he seems to be able to deal with any challenge that is laid before him. So, of course, a lot of eyes will be upon him. In, in, in more general terms, what do you consider to be the biggest story going into this 150th Open? Well, it's a strange one because I think it, it, it in many respects, it centres around someone that I'd be very surprised to see contending. And that, of course, is Tiger Woods. And he's set out his agenda on the comeback from that horrible car crash that he suffered less than two years ago. He surprised us all by coming back at the Masters, but very quickly afterwards said, I'm going to be at St Andrews. That's the one that I want to be at above everything else in a sense. Well, I don't think he was he was fit enough having pulled out after three rounds of the, the US PGA. He wasn't fit enough to play the US Open. But part of that decision was to make sure that he would be fit for St. Andrews. And bearing in mind that he was the champion, he won his first claret jug there in commanding fashion in 2000. He was equally commanding in 2005 when he won it there and then won it the following year in 2006. And, you know, I spoke to him actually uh, earlier this week uh, and, and, and he was making the point that, that the Open just means so much to him because of its history. And when he looks at the trophy and sees his name on there with all of the greats of the game, um, it, it, it explains exactly why he wants to be there. And he will still command the biggest galleries and he will be the first person when we look at the draw sheet when it comes out to find out when he's going to be teeing off. Everyone will want to see him. Yeah, and everyone wants him to go on playing for as long as possible. We know that isn't going to be possible. We've seen a lot of the great names actually say goodbye at St Andrews. I'm not suggesting for one moment that he's going to do that, Sue, but just to, to follow up from Ian's point there, for all these reasons and just for the fact that he's such a magnificent player, 
to watch, he will quite rightly command so much attention, won't he? Uh, he? He absolutely will. And it's the first thing people say to you when you say you're going to the Open. There are so many storylines this year's and players with a really lively chance. But the one thing everyone says is you're going to see Tiger at the Open again. Uh, he missed the cut in 2015, oddly enough, at a course which he has said himself is his favourite course. So I think, yes, there, there will be people who will speculate, is this the beginning of a, the long goodbye, a short goodbye or the goodbye? We, we can't possibly know that. Um, but it will be a pleasure and a thrill to see him out on the course. And you are absolutely right. When you look at the number of people that have bought tickets for this Open Championship, it is going to be a bumper turnout. And they are all, without any doubt, going to want to see Tiger Woods. Yeah. And Ian, you started this section of the conversation by suggesting that he probably won't contend, but he amazed us all at the Masters a couple of years ago. Is it ridiculously outlandish to suggest that somehow he could be in the mix come Sunday afternoon? Uh, in all honesty, yeah, I agree. I think it is ridiculously outlandish, uh, but it is Tiger Woods. And, you know, he surprised us all on that comeback at the Masters with an opening uh, 71. He astonished us all with his victory at Augusta in, in 2019. But let's face it, he's not played enough golf. He is not fit enough. He's not moving uh, as he would want to. And he, he admits that, but he still feels that he can play at a high level. And if there is a place where he could contend, it is St Andrews because it is relatively flat. It is a relatively easy walk and there is no better strategic mind, as he proved, especially with his win in 2000, in terms of how uh, he can manoeuvre his ball around there. But I just think against the world's best players, and there are so many players playing so well at the very top of the game, I do think it is relatively outlandish to, to expect him to contend. Yeah, I, I think we'd all accept that. But of course, over the next few days, we're all going to be pouring over the names, trying to work out who is going to find the inspiration. So let me just throw a few out and you can either bat them back or raise your bat and say, yeah, that's a very good suggestion. Now, I'll start with Xander Schofle, who won the Travellers and, of course, did the business at the Pro-Am event uh, that JP McManus organises as well. So, Sue, just in terms of recent form, going into the Open, he's got a be a man that uh, we can't ignore either. No, we can't ignore, and he contends so regularly at the majors, there's no doubt about that. He's got a pretty decent record at the Open, to say the least, and the Olympic champion of last year, full of confidence. He's one of the Americans that will not mind at all coming over here and getting wet and windswept. He will relish that challenge, so he's absolutely one of the players that you should be looking at for a top 20, top 10, maybe better finish. Yeah, OK, and I'll, I'll throw a, a few more out in, and we, and we can muse over all of them. I'm looking at John Rahm, who mm -hmm. can never be discounted, of course. Uh, his last nine events in the home nations, third, seventh, second, 11th, first, miscut, fourth, 44th, and first. I think it's fair to say that he's, he's probably going to be in the mix again, isn't he? You would think so. And remember, one of his victories has come at an Irish Open on the Lynx golf course. I thought I had him as favourite at Royal Port Rush uh, in 2019, uh, but his temperament let him down there. Uh, the links got to to him, and and that is still a little bit of an issue. But he comes here as a major champion now, uh, having won the the U.S. Open um, last year, um, and. He, he's got the power and we know that power is a massive asset to 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 be 
to be had at, at St Andrews, as so many of these these players do. Um, yeah, he's got to be among the favourites, and I think anything outside a top five finish for him would be a big surprise, a big surprise, and a big disappointment for him. All right, let me throw a few other names out there, Sue, and see which ones you like. We've mentioned Schofield, we've mentioned Ram. No surprise that that uh, we're going to tick boxes for them. Hard to ignore Scotty Scheffler. I want to shove Justin Thomas at you and of course the man we're all talking about after his triumph at the US Open Matt Fitzpatrick well with Scotty Scheffler five top eight finishes in his last six majors you cannot argue with that the champion at the Masters and and one of the bits of info I was digging up a little bit earlier on today is a one that fascinates me and Ian I'd love your view on this because uh, obviously they are not at all similar Augusta and St Andrews but there are also some crossovers in terms of the creativity that you need the the straightforward thinking that you need the shot making ability to get you out of trouble and nine of the last 10 winners at St Andrews have previously posted a top 3 or better finish at the Masters now that's quite an interesting stat. I don't know what you think about that, Ian, but there is a little bit of a crossover there, which might be interesting. Matsuyama is another uh, golfer who I think has got a, a really good chance of going well at St Andrews this year. I think that's a. I think he's a very good, very good call, and that link between Augusta and St Andrews. You know, Alistair McKenzie had the old course in mind. Not that you would Im- immediately, you know, recognise it when you see Augusta, but in terms of the the demands that he wanted to put on the golfers at Augusta, he had the old course in mind in terms of the the fundamentals of the design of the the home of the the Masters. So perhaps not the greatest coincidence when you look at the the history of the game. Matsuyama certainly has that that game. I think whoever it is, it's, it's someone whose putting touch has to be really on song because those greens are enormous and you can find the greens that's not the difficult bit but because you're suddenly faced with putts that are potentially way longer than you would ordinarily face on tour you've got to have that touch with the putter that lag putting and inevitably you are going to leave yourself with six seven eight footers for par or for birdies and those are the putts that you're going to have to make. And that's what you have to do at, at Augusta as well, because the chipping around the greens there is so difficult. It is very, very difficult to leave yourself routine tap-ins at Augusta. And the same applies at uh, the old course. And I mentioned Fitzpatrick, who's on such a high. I, I still every day actually watch that bunker shot just to give me a bit oh, of inspiration I before know. I go out and, and try and do something <laughs> similar. Strangely, that, that hasn't happened yet. But I was so impressed with his putting throughout the four days en route to that US Open title. Perhaps if anyone can, can handle the greens on the old course at the moment, it's him. Um, I'd, I'd, sli- I'd slightly take issue with that, Marcus, in that actually he won that US Open without his best putting display, which is a remarkable thought. It was born out of his approach play. You highlight that bunker shot, but it was also, you know, hitting fairways and hitting greens. And the key thing at St Andrews is avoiding the bunkers, avoiding the big numbers, avoiding an inevitable drop shot because you've put yourself up against the face of a bunker. Um, St Andrews isn't his favourite golf course. He's he's admitted that, but he's a much longer golfer now. He's a much more confident golfer now. He's emboldened by being a major champion. And yes, when it gets to those... 10 footers that I was describing ordinarily and he always leaves the flag in the hole that makes him pretty distinctive it works for him and if he has uh, uh, you know one of those weeks 
putting as he can, and it has so often been his stock in trade. It's it's really ironic that actually it it wasn't the factor that that made the difference for him at uh, at Brookline, but uh, nonetheless, he, he's someone that you have to consider uh, over the four days. And Sue, when Justin Thomas's putter is hot, he is hot and uh, you know I know there are some who still feel he despite what he has achieved at, at USPGA's that he, he's underperformed a little bit at major level but I mean the quality is is clear to see isn't it uh, oh w- without a doubt he's a big time competitor isn't he and he showed us that on the final day when he reeled in the unfortunate Mito Pereira who who by the way I, I think is another one of those golfers I know we're going to talk about dark horses in a minute but but the way he hits that stinger, which might come in awfully handy over the four days of St Andrews. And I have checked the long-range forecast. I had a little look today. And it looks like it might be gusty on uh, the weekend. So we, we sort of want that. We don't want a hurricane like we had last time, but a little bit of wind is good. So Pereira certainly is someone to just keep an eye on because he also won the uh, the junior open in five. He finished second there, sorry, didn't win it uh, when he was a junior. So he likes the five coast. So there's a little card to mark for you. But yeah, Justin Thomas, I thought was phenomenal. And when it went to a playoff with Will Zalatoris, there was no doubt in my mind that Justin Thomas was going to win it because he had the momentum. He's been in that situation before and he knows how to close it out. No discussion about potential champions would be complete without mentioning Rory McIlroy, who, of course, won the Open in 2014, should have been defending at St Andrews in 2015, but he was injured. So perhaps in some ways, Ian, this is the defence that he never actually had. In in many respects, yeah, I, I I put that point to him actually. I had a lengthy chat with uh, with Rory about the the Open Championship, and he admits that that freak injury when he was playing football ahead of the 2015 Championship really really disrupted him. And and bear in mind, he's not won a major since, but I think he's got a fantastic chance because he is someone who has been putting really well this year. I didn't think that, and you know, some people said, "Oh, it was typical Rory at the at the U.S. Open." He didn't have his best stuff at Brookline, and yet still was in contention until maybe two holes from the end of that championship that was won by Matt Fitzpatrick. So I think that he has, in some respects, overcome what has been an issue, which is playing himself out of championships and then sort of playing himself back into a high finish. He's done that repeatedly. He's been top 10 in all three of the majors this year. And I think that there will be such a level of motivation, that sense of unfinished business, the inability to defend his crown in 2015. I think he would be the perfect winner. Um, Well, Tiger Woods would be the perfect winner, but let's face it, that's not going to happen the next perfect winner and the most likely perfect winner, in my opinion, is is Rory McIlroy. And I do think he can get it done. Well, he's got serious history at St Andrews. He shot 63 in 2010. He has always played it very well. And he's been talking with Chris Lewis about that nine under par 63 and his chances this time around. It, it's up there. You know, I've like I've been lucky enough to shoot a lot of low scores in my career and and you know, at that point, it felt like I just got into some sort of a zone. Um, St. Andrews has always been a golf course that I've played well. I've always loved it from playing in the St. Andrews Lynx Trophy as an amateur all the way through, like Dunhill Lynx Championships and, and Opens, obviously. And um, 
I've always had a certain level of comfort on the golf course there. And it was just one of those days where, you know, I felt really comfortable. I started to get on a run around the turn there. You know, I birdied, I think I like maybe birdied seven. I eagled the ninth hole. I birdied, ten. you know, I just, I, you know, I, I played the, the sort of easier holes the way you should play them. And then, um, and then I played really well on the way in. I think, you know, St. Andrews is all about building your score around the middle of that golf course um, or even the start of the golf course because once you turn for home, there's there's no real let up until, the, you know, obviously the 18th is a chance, but you think about, you know, you've got 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, I mean, really hard holes in a row. Um, but yeah, that 63 is up there with with one of the best, you know, rounds I've I've shot in my career and Again, going back to what I said about Carnoustie, I wish I could have kept kept it going a bit. I, uh, you know, I struggled in the wind the second day, but I bounced back well the weekend and ended up ended up having a really good finish. Um, but I feel like when I go out to St Andrews, that there's all these memories that I have and all these great, um, all these great feelings and and um, you know, the sixty three was great, and then you know it's the course where I got you know I got my tour card as well first time you know second event as a pro and you have all these great memories of St Andrews and I think when you step onto a golf course where you have great memories like that it's just a little bit easier to to shoot those sort of scores. So we've got a little bit of audio here Rory from your round in 2010 you're 63 let's have a little listen in. He's hit that way up into the air oh that's just excellent shot he made that look very easy got a sort of lolloping walk hasn't he for a young man it's one of those sort of you know those sort of walks on a hockey lion upslope knocked it to here so this to get to eight under bingo unbelievable eagle at nine birdie at ten birdie at eleven birdie at twelve par at thirteen birdie at fourteen now birdie at fifteen eight under par now Rory McIlroy with his second shot to 17, very demanding, but he has the ability to make things look very easy. 187 yards. Does he like it? He loves it. Oh, that's just unbelievable. Tiptoes past the little hump in the green. Magic. He played in his second event as a professional in 2007 and finished third to gain his card in a couple of events, and he finished with a birdie at 17 and 18 then. There we have it, round of 63 for Rory McIlroy and leader in the clubhouse. What a wonderful day. One birdie and an eagle on the front nine and look at that back nine, six under. So Rory, what sort of emotions does that stir in you, hearing that audio back from yeah, um, it been 12 years ago now? 12 years ago, is that what it is? Oof. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it just gets me excited to to get back to St Andrews to to play an Open Championship. Mm. Um, you know, I I should have been the defending champion there in twenty fifteen and and couldn't because I got injured and um, you know it's been a long time coming around. You know, I never got that opportunity to defend my title, especially at such a special place like St Andrews. So seven years on, um, I'm I'm excited for it and. Yeah, those pictures. It just yeah, it just gets me excited to go back there and play. I I mean, there's just something special about a about an open at St Andrews. It it doesn't it only comes along once every few years, and it just seems like a bit of a bigger deal. You know, everyone talks about winning an open championship, and then 
you know, winning an Open at St Andrews just maybe means just that little bit extra. So on the 150th Open, obviously, as you mentioned, your last appearance in the Open at St Andrews in 2010, you've played nine Open Championships since then. How do you feel about your chances, given your form and how you feel about the venue? And and is there perhaps, I don't know, unfinished business for you at the old course? Yeah, I mean, I I feel like there is. I mean, I like I can't go into the Open approaching it like I've got unfinished business at this golf course. I, I just, you know, I feel like there's enough pressure on me anyway without putting more on yeah. myself. Um, but <laughs> I definitely, it's one that I've been looking forward to for a long, long time. 12 years it's you know I want to I want to just make sure that I've I'm in the best possible shape to to go there um I'm playing well I'm playing some of the best golf I've played in a long time you know I've played well in the majors this year without without getting the win but I've you know I've I've contended in all of them really um so it's a it's a good opportunity I, I feel like you know it's the last major of the year um I have Maybe something to prove to myself and to other people, but you know, I, the way I'm playing, I feel like I'll, I've, I, I'm going in there with, um, just as good a chance as I've, I've had at an open, um, since I can remember, and uh, you know, even even you know, the open that I won in fourteen seems like a long time ago now as well. So, um, you know, I'd love to get my hands on a on another claret jug. Well, you can hear the enthusiasm in his voice and his obvious love for St Andrews. That 63 is an incredible memory. But, Sue, you're quite harsh because you went, yeah, but what did he do the day after? <laughs> well, no, I, I, to be absolutely fair, I didn't mean it quite like that, but the history books will tell you that the wind blew and it poured with rain the next day and there was a delay of just over an hour because of the wind again. It can be such an issue. And Rory got caught on the wrong side of the draw. That can happen in an Open Championship. And when you play and where you are when the weather comes can make a, a huge difference. He shot an 80. But what I loved about that, after the 63, the high was pretty quickly followed by a low as he came into press straight away, faced up to the media, and I think on the last two or three holes, he hold a couple of really gutsy par putts. And the gallows humour from him was, listen, it was an 80, but it could have been an 82 or an 83, yeah. <laughs> which is a great way of looking at it. You know, so he's got all these memories and experiences from them. They will be in the locker and the way he's playing, as Ian quite rightly points out this year, he has got a fantastic chance this year. One other thing to say is that I think the biggest obstacle for him is that he doesn't make it bigger than it has to be. And, you know, you, you heard him there talking. He knows what a special week this is and he knows that he's got the game to win. And I think sometimes with, with Rory, we've seen him with a similar attitude. It happens every time he goes to the Masters as well because every time he goes there, it's to complete the career Grand Slam. And that has in the past inhibited him. So I think his biggest challenge is not a physical one, it's a mental one to make sure that he doesn't make it bigger than it is and doesn't get himself into a state whereby he inhibits himself because it... it it, it becomes too daunting a prospect in a sense. That, that's a great point, Ian, because it happened, didn't it, at Royal Port Rush, where he didn't make the cut in the end. His opening round was exactly. shocking and he couldn't make up lost ground. 
hundred percent, hundred percent. You know, he 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 drove out of bounds on the first day and shot eight on the on the very first hole of the biggest golf tournament he could ever play, an Open Championship in Northern Ireland, and that was an occasion where it got to him. That is the the absolute prime example. Now, if has he learnt from that? Will he be able to put himself in the right mental state so that he doesn't make those kind of errors? That, for me, is the big question mark. And I'm confident that he can be in the right mental state. And if he is, he's got the game. No doubt about it. Brilliant around the greens. We, we all talk about his prowess off the tee, but his chipping game, and as I say, his putting has been excellent all year, and they are going to be vital commodities. He did say in that clip, though, that he feels he still has something to prove. Do you think he's still got something to prove in? Massively, massively. This is someone who we were predicting by this stage of his career could be in double digits for majors one. He won his first two majors by eight shots. Um, and that, that was in 2011, then 2012. He went on a tear in 2014, unstoppable through that summer, winning the Open, winning the USPGA, winning a WGC, and he hasn't won a major since. He's won everything else. He's won the race to Dubai. He's won the FedEx Cup. He's won the Players' Championship, but he hasn't won another major, and that does weigh very heavily on him. I know it does. I've spoken to him about it, and he admits it. And he also admits that nowadays there are so many good players, great players uh, at the very top of the game. And that gets into his head as well. You know, he looks in his wing mirrors and he sees a Morikari, he sees a Rami, he sees a, a Scheffler. And, and, and in the past, back in the, those halcyon days, similar players of that ilk would see McElroy in their wing mirrors and they would quake at that. And, and, and in that respect, the tables have turned somewhat. So, you know, this is not straightforward by any stretch of the imagination. And it does mean that he has an absolutely a massive point to prove. It's almost inconceivable that at the height of his career, in his peak years of his career, he's gone eight years without winning a major. And he needs to end that. And he knows it. But there are so many other names. I'm going to throw a few more notables in your general direction. I want to mention Zach Johnson because, of course, he will be the defending champion at St Andrews. Another Irishman, Shane Lowry, who more often than not is there or thereabouts. I could throw in Louis Oosthuizen, who seems to pop up at the key moments still. Sam Burns, Will Salatoris. I mean, the list is, the list is endless, Jordan. Spieth, Victor Hovland, of, of those names... Sue, which ones do you like in particular? I, I'm really looking forward to seeing Will Zalatoris. I think his, his record in majors is fantastic and he's been so often the bridesmaid, it would seem, recently and not quite the bride. But I, I wonder if that unfinished business for him at a major is going to really blossom and bear fruit at an Open Championship. And I wonder... I'll ask you both this question. If you think maybe the slower greens at the Open Championship might really suit his putting, his lag putting in particular, what do you think, Ian? Do you think Will's got a really good chance this year? Yeah, I, th I think that's a very, very, very good point because if there is a weak link in the Zalatoris game, it is on the greens. And often when you do get those slower greens, as was the case with uh, Colin Morikawa, um, who's, again, if you if you wanted to identify a relative weakness, it would be on, on the greens. And you could say the same about Zalatoris. And, and that does tend to bring the less proficient putters on the lightning fast greens of the PGA Tour into the mix. So, yes, I, I think Hovland intrigues me because his ball striking is second to none. He's not done well in the majors so far this year. 
he gets let down by his chipping, he might not have to chip as much as at other majors because, as I say, those greens are so massive and so the premium comes onto the putter and he does putt very, very well. So, uh, And he has the ball striking. There's, that's not in question and big targets to aim at. So he might not have to use the wedges so often around the greens. And if that is the case, then he really comes into the mix. Jordan Spieth, for me, is another player we should be talking about at St Andrews. But for that four-putt on the eighth at St Andrews last time around, he would have found himself either holding the claret jug there or in the playoff. So I think he's another player you've got to really consider. If his game is in a good shape and he seems to like the Open Championship very much and it certainly likes him, he's another one to put on that very long list of possibles. Yeah, and and, and remember back to Spieth in 2015, he'd won the first two majors that year. He was going for a a calendar Grand Slam and was ultimately only a shot out of the the playoff, the three-man playoff. So he finished fourth. And you're right, that four-putt came from nowhere on the eighth. I'll I'll never forget watching uh, that. But I'm, I'm just wondering about you know, current form, whether or not it's quite there for Spieth. But again, he he, he reserves, you know, he was in the mix at Royal St. George's last time. Um, Shane Lowry is another name that, that I, I really do like for, especially if the wind blows, um, a link specialist in, in many respects. So, gosh, there are so many you can pick from. Can I go back to Louis Oosthuizen, who is Mr. St. Andrews? Nobody's beaten him in regulation since 2010 on the course. Uh, you know, his his record is remarkable. I know perhaps he's not in recent times been quite the power of those days, but certain players go back to certain venues and rediscover their mojo. So do you expect him, Ian, to be in the equation again? You're quite right to highlight, you know, his, his form around the old course. He was in the playoff in 2015. He won in 2010. He was runner-up... Uh, basically across the board in the majors last year as well. So, yeah, he's got, he undoubtedly has the game and, and could well be a factor. OK, so we've looked at some likely winners, some notable other contenders. Dark horses, Sue, where should we look in that direction? Well, I, I am going to return to the dark horse I mentioned a bit earlier. Well, a couple of them, Hideki Matsuyama, not really a dark horse in that regard, is he? He's a, a, a major champion already, but... He ties in very nice to that little theory I was uh, uh, talking about earlier on about players that do well at the Masters and then have a live chance at the Open Championship. Mito Pereira, as I said, as well. And, and you can never count out a player like Tyrrell Hatton as well. I've followed him at very, very many Open Championships. And when he comes alive as well, especially in the conditions if they're a little bit grim, he's another player that you just can't take your eyes off. There are so many of them. We haven't even spoken about Bryson DeChambeau and Brooks Kepka. It'll be interesting to see what game they bring to St Andrews as well. And you know when you get feelings, and I want to ask Ian because he is an expert, and this is partly because I heard him talking about his near miss a few years ago on one of the open podcasts and having listened to him and always admired him I have got this sneaking feeling that Adam Scott is going to win the open am I talking nonsense as usual Ian not at all. He was uh, very much in the mix in, in 2015. There's not much form about him at the moment, but there is so much motivation. I spoke to him earlier this year and he was so eloquent about 
two things. One, the Open that he let slip 10 years ago at uh, at Royal Lytham and St Anne's when he had a four-shot lead coming down the stretch and bogeyed each of the, the last four holes, but also his respect for the history of St Andrews. And he actually said to me that if he were to win the Open at St Andrews, he could easily turn around and say, that's it. I, I don't need to play golf anymore. I, I, ca- I cannot top that achievement. So he will be enormously motivated. I think that's a, you know, he's a great one to to highlight there, Marcus. Um, I like the thought of Tyrrell Hatton, given his record in the Dunhill links at St. Andrews, but chatting to him, he made the point that it's a, a very different setup in the autumn for that European tour event. And, and and he struggles on those kind of major setups, uh, Tyrrell Hatton, although he did win at Bay Hill in a very tough setup, but that was a couple of years ago now. So um, I think he's a struggle. My dark horse is, is Ryan Fox, who has just posted high finish after high finish after high finish week in, week out on the, the uh, DP World Tour. And is coming in was second uh, last week uh, at the Irish Open and he has the game for a, a Lynx golf course and especially the old course that powerful hitting that he has and certainly for an each way bet I would suggest he represents extremely good value. That is a great shout Ian I'm also going to throw another name into the mix that we haven't mentioned that was part of the climax of the 2015 Open Championship and that's Mark Leishman who's having a fairly reasonable season so far and he loves Lynx golf and he was awfully close to winning a first major in 2015 at St Andrews so he's another player that when you look at the list of runners and riders strikes a big ball and can come with a real charge. So there's another to add to the 45 that we've given you already today. (laughs) Here's two more. (laughs) Tony Finau, Tommy Fleetwood. Discuss. Oh, I love watching both of them play, especially Tommy Fleetwood. And, and, well, he's got the game as well. He grew up on the links, didn't he, at uh, Birkdale? And we've seen him time and time again in and around the mix. I would say... Yeah, I would say Tommy Fleetwood's got a real chance. <laughs> He's got to get the putter going, though. He's got to get the putter going. Of course, he was in that final group with Shane Lowry at uh, at, at uh, Royal Port Rush, and if he'd made a couple of key putts early on, he could really have put some pressure on on the Irishman there. But the putter's been stone cold. The form's been been pretty cold. Who was the other one that you mentioned there? Tony um, Finau. Tony Finau, he's just got to work out how to win golf tournaments. Again, hits the ball absolutely miles. Um, he's not on my list, though. Okay. Well, I'm crossing him off mine then because I'm. I'm well, I've got Ryan Fox. No, now. don't, don't, don't do that, Marcus. Don't, don't, don't do that. I mean, you know, he's got credentials, but I just don't see it. That's all. We love. I, fair... In fact, I'd lump on him now. <laughs> we love fairy tale stories, of course. Now, five amateurs made the cut in. 2015. Ian, is it fair to say that perhaps St Andrews offers amateurs more of a chance to make a a real impact than the other regular stop-offs on the open rotor? Potentially, yes. I mean, with that statistic, I can't give you a reason why that would be the case. But 
we have seen amateurs do great great things and you know we remember Paul Dunn don't we who was was leading as a as an amateur and we were starting to wonder you know how how he would feel about gathering the claret jug but not the winner's check as as was potentially the case in in 2015 um i don't see an, i i just think the quality at the at the top of the the game makes it very very difficult for an amateur to come through and win the open but history suggests that you know we could see a a real battle over the 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 third and fourth rounds with you know several making it through and a real battle for that very coveted silver medal which is is something that sits very prominently in the trophy cabinet of the likes of of, of Tiger Woods who who won the silver medal when he played as an amateur uh, what back in 1995 at uh, at St Andrews I mean, qualifying for the Open is an adventure in itself. It's, it's good enough to write fantastic books and make films about it. And you've been having a close look this year. So at some of the names we can keep an eye on? Well, I have. And, and one of the names that I'm really looking forward to see and compete at St Andrews is Aldridge Potgieter. Now, he's a 17-year-old South African golfer who won the amateur championship at Royal Litham and St Anne's this year. Had a real ding-dong battle with Sam Bairstow in that final, but he came through it. A lot of people in golf are really excited about this young man and because he won the amateur championship he gets into the open and the 2023 US Open and traditionally you also find yourself with an invitation to the Masters at Augusta as well so we're going to be seeing a little bit of this young man over the course of the next few months he's got an exceptional short game and I think at an open championship you need many things but you certainly need that especially if you find yourself in trouble in the bunkers so look out for him just 17 years of age what an occasion it'll be for him and Sam Bairstow as well the man he beat in the amateur championship he then took himself off to qualifying having made a real charge at Potgita in that final round not quite enough but almost made up lost ground and then qualified at St Anne's as well to get himself into the 150th Open Championship too so there's just a couple of names of the amateurs that we'll be hearing a lot of at the Open this year and can I just recommend if you haven't listened to the qualifying podcast part of our series building up to the Open it's a fantastic listen and gives you a real insight into the stresses that uh, goes into to trying to make it into the Open that way. One person heading there for the very first time is Aaron Jarvis. Now, he's 19 years of age from the Cayman Islands. He appears on the international stage again, having also appeared at the Masters. And Jarvis has been explaining what he's expecting from St Andrews and how he got into the sport in the first place. Back in the day, I was probably 11 or 12, um... Came out and hosted the Caribbean Amateur Junior Golf Championships, and my brother's a couple years older than me, and he was playing. And then my dad was like, "You know, why don't you come out and watch, see what's going on?" Because I was playing football growing up my whole life, and then from there I was like, "I kind of want to start playing." And then I just got into the game. Uh, I played with Zach Johnson in the uh, Masters, and obviously he's won here. He's like, you know, just stick to your find the right game plan. That's what Kevin and I will do uh, going forward getting the right starting lines, and then obviously just hitting it in the right side of the greens and because the greens are huge, so you don't want to have like 100-foot putts, right? So, But staying out of every single bunker if possible. That's, you know. So then we'll come up with a good game plan for July, and, and then obviously it could change depending on weather. So trying to learn as much as I can each and every day about this place. And obviously I've been here before, and... I mean, it's a special place, right? So having the 150th Open here is going to be one that I'm going to take in. So I'm looking forward to it. 
Yes, of course, he's got to learn every subtle nuance about the old course. And, and Ian, as the, the BBC's golf correspondent, you have to keep learning about all the new names that are coming through. It's so exciting as well to see these young guys and see how they deal with the extra special pressures of the Open Championship. And there you are. It goes back to that point. It's the World Championship of Golf. It's open to everybody. And here we have a player from the Cayman Islands now involved. You know, you can look at open winners and they, they stretch from uh, Argentina to, to Zimbabwe. You know, Robert De Vicenzo all the way through to, to Nick Price and A to Z of winners all over the world. And that talent pool is just getting bigger and bigger, as you heard there from from Aaron. He's now, you know, getting his head round what it is to play in in the Open Championship. And you know what? That just just going back, you know, we started the conversation uh, talking about the book that, that that I did. The biggest thing that I learned in in that was the the meeting that took place in 1861, which was ahead of the second. It wasn't even called the Open at that point, but it was the second event for the Challenge Belt. And they decided that they would open it up to amateurs at that point. And in the minute book of that meeting, it is written there and it says, henceforth, or words to this effect, henceforth, it will be open to the whole world. And that is why it's called the Open. And that is why it is completely a complete fallacy to ever call it the British Open. It's because it's open to the whole world. And that kind of really sort of resonates when you hear someone from the Cayman Islands getting themselves ready to make their open debut. <laughs> yeah, so watch out for Aaron Jarvis. Uh, three other names that, that I have got on my radar in this regard, Ian and Sue. Alex Wrigley, who qualified at Fairmont. He's married to an L.E.T. player, um, Johanna Gustafsson. So that's one. Ben Campbell. Now, he's one of those uh, golfers who's had so many injuries but has battled back to qualify for his first ever Open. I did have another name, but you've already mentioned it, uh, in Aldridge Potgeeter. So, of course, they're long shots, but they're part of what makes this Open so open and so special. Well, I love hearing the stories about the players who qualify and the manner in which they do it. I mean, Alex Wrigley held the last putt in regulation to make a playoff and then book his place at Fairmont St Andrews. And it's those kind of moments that can be career-defining and then changing as well because... As we spoke about a little bit earlier with, uh, you know, Paul Dunn had a wonderful Open Championship in 2019. It was in, he was in uh, 2015, sorry, a name that not many people would have been hugely familiar with at the time. And he was all over the front and back pages uh, by the day, the final day dawned because of what he'd done at the Open Championship. Yeah, and Alex Wrigley is just a great story, isn't it? Because... He'll be having a chat, no doubt, to his wife about how to play the course. She is playing the Women's Open at Muirfield. So there will be a lot of chat about Lynx golf, I imagine, in their house over the course of the next month. OK, we have mentioned an awful lot of names, but the time has come to nail our colours to the mast. So, Ian Carter, give me your three most likely winners, please. Okay, uh, my three most likely winners are Shane Lowry, um, John Rahm, and number one, and I wrote this in January, and I'd like to apologise to him now because this has probably put the curse on him, Rory McIlroy, and he is my top tip for this Open Championship. Well, we can totally understand the reasons for that and, and we've heard why he loves St Andrews 
so much. And, and while you know he feels he's got something to prove, but we know he can do it. OK, Miss Thurl. Well, I don't want to pick the same names, just to be contrary. I think I might go for different names. Um, but that is quite a dazzling array that Ian Carter has staffled in advance. Which Typically, I'm, he's grabbed, he's grabbed the headlines well, there. I, I'm just glad you asked me first. <laughs> but, but equally, I, I think it's very appropriate that you go for three alternatives because it is the Open and there is such a wide range of, of candidates. Well, there are. So I'm going to go uh, for uh, some names outside of that remarkable trio. I am going to go Xander Schofley. I'm going to big up Jordan Spieth because I love him at the Open and I just feel like he will come alive at St Andrews, especially when he gets to that eighth green and make absolutely certain he hits it as close to the pin as possible and not have a horror with his putter there. And I think I am also going to go for Victor Hovland. I think that might just be the Open Championship this year, might just be the major where he comes alive as well and comes of age. So they are the three names I'm giving you. OK. Well, I'm going to grab one name from your respective piles and it has to be Rory McIlroy because, like Ian, I, I sense that his time has come. It, it's been far too long a wait for him. So I'll put him in there. I've mentioned Adam Scott. I don't know why. I think it was Ian's interview actually with Adam Scott that alerted me to his <laughs> ongoing Desire, and of course, we all remember those those bogeys, that succession of bogeys. Was it really ten years ago now that must still haunt him? But I am going, and this is partly with my heart as well as my head, because I've I've felt from the last few majors. But Will Zalatoris has been so close, three runners-up berths already. He's only played in nine majors. He's been there. He's been there. He's been there. It hasn't quite been his time. But I think if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. A Scotsman famously came up with that quote. And I think Zalatoris is going to do that at the home of golf. Well, I think the most sensible thing for anybody listening to this podcast now is to strike all of those names <laughs> <laughs> off their list and maybe look elsewhere. I think you're absolutely right. <laughs> but it's been a pleasure, a real pleasure to talk to you, Sue Thurl, who Thank will be you. a key part of it. the Open Radio team. To the BBC's golf correspondent, Ian Carter, who will be leading the Five Live coverage, uh, of course, over those four very exciting days. Thank you, Ian, and uh, I'm going to no, go back you, and Marcus. read more of that fantastic book of yours as well. And remember to subscribe to the Open Podcast via your favourite podcast provider. That way, when our next Open Preview podcast is released during Championship Week, you will be notified straight away. A reminder, you can also listen to the Open Radio during the Championship from Thursday the 14th of July to Sunday the 17th of July, where we will bring you full uninterrupted coverage until the close of play each day. You can listen live on the Open.com and the Open app. Our review podcasts will be released after each day's play coming every day from Wednesday. But for now, from Ian Carter, from Sue Thurl, and from me, Marcus Buckland, goodbye and good luck. The One Club, in partnership with MasterCard, is the best way to get closer to golf's original championship. Enjoy enhanced chances of securing future championship tickets. Sign up for free today at theopen.com. This has been an original audio production from The Open.